Hey, uh, how many of you um, use uh, voice text? You, you know what I'm talking about? Now look, I know it's more than that. You're just still asleep. How many of you use, okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's when you take your phone out and you talk into it, and you want it to tell somebody else what you told to it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, how many of you use voice text? Yeah? Uh, have, have you ever tried to voice text something, and then you pull your phone back, and you go, that's not what I said. You know what I'm talking about? And you just thank God that you hadn't hit the send button yet, because <laughs> that's not what you said. But let me give you a few voice text misunderstandings. Here's one. Is this working? This is my first voice text ever, exclamation mark. <laughs> Here's another one. This is a test. I just figured out how to send text through voice, whatever it means, microphone. Is it working? Just press send. <laughs> They're just kind of giving it the whole thing at one time, isn't it? All right, check this one out. I will just keep repeating until it cubes our right, chimes or right, Congress outright, coins our right, Cobra our right, comes out right, phew. <laughs> you, you, you ever been there? Hey, they're just not backing up, are they? That's like no retreat, man. Hey, I love that person, though. You know what I mean? They're not quitting. All right. Um, one of our pastors uh, this past week sent a text. And apparently, they used voice text. I want to tell you who it is. But here's what they intended to say, because they were telling some of us that they were visiting a, a really precious man in our church, and here's what they intended to say, went by to see Alan Buse yesterday. All right? That's what they intended to say. Here's what we read. By the sea, Island View yesterday, that's Alan Buse Boose Boose. <laughs> I read the, I said, what, 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 do, you know, what meaneth this? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Even when you say the right words into a smartphone, you can still be completely misunderstood. How, how many of you ever been misunderstood? Yeah, right? Everybody's been misunderstood. Doesn't feel good. Even God gets misunderstood sometimes, and probably more than anyone else. Now, Jesus encountered Jewish religious leaders of his day that were familiar, listen to this, with the exact words that God had spoken in the Old Testament, but they misunderstood the heart behind the words. They knew the words, they didn't know the heart. And that's what this series is about there are six of these. We're going to call them divine misunderstandings. Okay, divine misunderstandings. There are six of them, and they all sound just like this when you read them in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, but I tell you. In other words, you have heard that it was said equals, this is what God said. But I tell you, this is what Jesus says, this was God's heart behind what he said. You have heard it said, that's what God said, but I tell you, and this is the heart behind it. In other words, you know what he said, but you misunderstood what he meant. 
And these misunderstandings were important enough. I want you to think about this. They were important enough to Jesus that he wanted to clear them up. Now, I'll go ahead and give you the six misunderstandings, or at least the topics, what they're about. Uh, murder, adultery. In other words, you know what God said about these. But I say unto you, I tell you, this is what you misunderstood. Murder, adultery, divorce, breaking our word, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. This is what you've heard. This is the heart behind it. So today we're going to look at the divine misunderstanding about murder. Now, I, I, I wouldn't ordinarily say what I'm about to say to you. Um, but let me encourage you, if you have something to write with or you have an app on your phone you use, to take a few notes this morning. Here's why. I believe that this message, not the way it's been organized, but the heart behind this message has the ability to heal our nation, to heal our culture, to heal our marriages, to heal our families, to heal churches, to heal cities, and to heal communities. And it is one of the most relevant topics to the present environment we live in that I know of. So maybe after you hear this message, you might want to grab the podcast link and share it with someone that you know or maybe on social media or something because I believe it's that relevant. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5 21 and 22, the first divine misunderstanding. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Okay, remember, this is what God said. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, okay, here was the heart behind what you heard. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, boy, if you can circle that word, that is a critical word. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. It's always Raka, isn't it? Just say that word, Raka. Doesn't that feel good? Next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, instead of flipping them off, not that anyone here would ever do that, you just give them a good rocker. Rocker. You show them. Is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Pretty strong. Notice Jesus begins this passage with, you've heard it said, and so and when he switches to, but I tell you, here's what he's saying to them. He's basically saying to them, let's rethink what you've been taught your entire life. That's a lot. Let's rethink what you've been taught your entire life. Because there might be a misunderstanding. You've heard this commandment, do not commit murder. This one seems kind of like a no-brainer in the group. I'm sure it did to them when they first heard it. Most people would recognize that murder's wrong. This is, this is one of the ones you look at and you say, now, I missed an hour's sleep for this. <laughs> I never killed anybody. What, what are we talking about? 
Well, then Jesus adds, but I say to you, they're thinking, is he going to change it? Surely Jesus isn't for murder, is he? Well, of course not. Jesus is definitely against murder. But then Jesus starts talking about anger. Really, anger? We're going to talk about anger and murder in the same sentence? Everyone's guilty of anger, right? Surely everybody's guilty of anger. Everybody gets angry sometimes. He says, but anger has to be addressed. And Jesus begins to unpack where murder comes from in its seed form. It comes from anger. Now, we often hear about crime and murder rates. By the way, I couldn't find 2018, but 2017 in America, there's 17,284 murder cases in America. Now, we all know the higher the population, the more murders that happen, right? For example, the number of murders in California are higher than the number of murders in Wyoming. Why? More people equals more murder. So the question is, how many people do you need for murder to start to happen? Well, apparently not that many. For Jesus to make his point, he takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the first humans lived. God made Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve made Cain and Abel. Now, if you're keeping count, that's four. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, I want you to think about this. We couldn't even make it to the fourth person without somebody killing somebody. (laughs) Let's talk about that for a minute. Four people couldn't figure out how to divide the whole earth and find a corner. You think your kids fight in the back seat. Four people couldn't share the whole earth. You think the crime rate's high now, at one time, a third of all the humans on earth were murderers. A third of people in jail aren't murderers. Cain only knew three people, and he killed one of them. Think about that. This was a hot mess. Why did Cain kill his brother? Was it because they didn't have enough space? Genesis 4, now Abel kept, uh, 4 verse 2, kept the flocks, and you read the whole story, you get down to the end, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor, so Cain was very what? Angry, here we go, the first murder was rooted in anger, anger was the backstory to murder, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Even before the Ten Commandments, God gave a way for murder to be dealt with before it happened. And it was the choice that Cain had, and it is the choice that you and I still have today. Now, Cain chose to feed his anger and give in to it, and it ended with him murdering his only sibling, his little brother. 
Now, Jesus described how the process worked. Let's read it again, Matthew 6, 22. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says fool. Raka is just a word that means uh, if, you, if you say to someone, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're empty-headed. A fool intends to um, evaluate the value of a person uh, very low. You're a fool. You have no value. Have you ever noticed when we have a problem with someone, usually it's because they're bad and we're good, and they're wrong and we're right, at least that's how we see it, and we create separation from that person, not by lifting ourselves up, but by tearing them down, and when we tear them down, we feel better about ourselves, and it seems like the worse they look, the better we feel. What is that? It's insecurity or offense that is boiled up into anger, and angry people are dangerous. You are dangerous when you are angry, and I am dangerous when I am angry. When we, we're never more dangerous than when we are angry. You may not physically murder anyone, but that doesn't mean that you don't murder something. Because anger always kills now, today, you and I live in a culture of anger. As technology increases and isolation increases and the pace of life increases, I guarantee you anger is going to continue to increase. Now, now let's talk about the types of murder that we might make application from this verse. We know about the obvious one, physical murder. But what about when you're angry at someone because they've hurt you, they've offended you, and you refuse to forgive them. In that way, that anger, when it produces fruit, it will murder that relationship. It will create distance and separation, and it will harm and murder that relationship. So whether you murder a person's body or you murder a relationship, murder is murder. What about when you gossip about someone? You talk about someone in their absence. You are shaping other people's opinion of who they are. Therefore, you are murdering their reputation. And murder is murder. What about when you have anger inside and you don't know how to deal with it, so you overeat, or you medicate, or you drink and drink, or you take drugs? You are murdering yourself, and murder is murder. What about when you've been wounded by people and you say, never again is a person ever going to hurt me, and you isolate yourself and you build walls of separation from all those people around you, and you say, I'm never letting anyone get close to me again. That isolation is self-murder. Isn't, isn't that what divorce is? The Bible says when a husband and wife come together, the two will be one flesh. There's another entity that's created inside the unity of a marriage. And when that marriage ends in divorce, that other entity has been murdered. Murder's murder. 
What about division? What about a person that will triangulate one group against another? Do you know what they said about you? Do you know what they said about you? Look how they're looking at you. Look what they're doing. Look over there. A person that creates division in a group or a church is a murderer because they are murdering the unity. Verbal abuse. Verbal abuse means to murder someone's self-esteem. Life and death, the Bible says, is in the power of the tongue. So when I just choose to, to ramp up in anger and just give someone a good tongue lashing, what am I doing? I'm murdering their self-esteem. I just beat them down with my words. People murder their children every day. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. People murder their spouses. People murder their employees. Murder means to destroy or damage or tear down something God values. And when I, when I enact verbal abuse on someone, I am murdering them. And Jesus says, just because you don't kill someone's body, it doesn't mean that you're not a murderer. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, there are a lot of ways to murder what God loves, and that's the heart behind what God said. All forms of murder come from the same dark place in the heart, and that's why we must not allow anger to take root in our hearts. Because anger always kills. Look, look at our current political system. It is a culture of murder. Every day, as long as the news cycles can go on the air, someone's reputation is being murdered. Someone's intelligence, someone's background, someone's history. Murder, murder, murder. Social media is a forum for murder. Every day, as long as your eyes can stay open, you can read comment thread lines where somebody says, You idiot! You moron, you're stupid. How could you believe this? You're what's wrong with our country. It, it's absolutely appalling. Creating memes to make other people look dumb. Just taking a sentence out of context and running with it. And some of the people doing it are Christians. And I, I want you to consider this. They're claiming Christ all the time. They're functioning in a spirit of murder. That's antichrist. That's not Christian. And they're sitting there at their computers and on their phones, and they're murdering people with their fingertips. Murder is murder. So what is anger? Anger is the environment of the heart where murder is born. Anger is the environment of the heart where murder is born. And the earlier it's dealt with, the less things get killed. Jesus is saying the misunderstanding is you think you're okay just because you haven't physically killed anybody. But I say unto you, <laughs> if you let anger fester, you're a murderer. There's a lot of ways to kill somebody and to murder people and physical violence is only one of them. 
So, so what happens in our system? We sit and watch the news and we read the commentary and we read the and we, and we get frustrated. We get frustrated in traffic, and we get frustrated with lines, we get frustrated with our life, we get frustrated with our government, and we don't know how to deal with the anger, so we just lash out and murder someone. And that, and that is and that is appalling to God. I'm telling you, as Christians. If you want to shine like a light in this dark world, you and I have got to learn how to deal with anger. Because we are not going to have any shortage of it, I guarantee it. The pressure's not going to calm down. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, you're going to have to learn how to deal with anger. If you're going to be a good parent, you're going to have to learn how to deal with anger. So, so this morning, how do you deal with anger in your heart? If you have something to write with, I'm going to give you a few very quick thoughts. Number one, admit you have the ability to will painful things on other people. Admit that you have the ability to will painful things on other people. If you believe you only want what is best for other people all the time, you are at a huge risk. Self-blindness is the worst kind of blindness. And if you think, but oh, but you don't know me. You know, I'm sweet and, and I'm humble. And I even uh, missed an hour's sleep and got up and came to church today. <laughs> I got my Jesus face on and I know how to smile on cue. And I would never say anything and I would never do anything. And I would never, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about what's out here. Talk about what's in here. Talk about what's in here. You can't prevent something from coming into your heart if you think it's impossible for it to get in there. So the first step is to admit that you and I all have the ability to will and to wish painful things on other people. Given the right circumstances, if there's enough pressure, if there's enough jealousy, if there's enough offense, if there's enough anger, you and I are capable of wishing and hoping and even cooperating to help bring painful things on other people's lives. And sometimes we think, you know, other people are the problem. In an attempt to get them out of the way, we take part part of their life away from them through sarcasm, through cynicism, by murdering their reputation or murdering their self-esteem. And we fail to recognize that outside of God's grace, outside of a yielded, humble dependency on God's grace, every one of us are murderers. Our hands are not clean. And so that's step one. If you can't make that step, the other three don't matter. Number two, confess to God the negative motivations of your heart toward other people. So when you look at the TV, look on the internet, pass someone in the mall, and there's some tension there, and what rises up in your heart is they'll get what's coming to them. Yeah. 
They'll get theirs one day. Go ahead and check yourself. Because what you should be saying is, I pray, I pray and I hope that they don't get what's coming to them. I hope, I hope, I hope and I pray that by God's grace and mercy, something will change. You see the difference? But to hope and will for and wish for and and act that some kind of universal karma is going to come around and slap them in the back of the head. That's evil. That's evil, and we got to call it what it is. It's absolutely evil. So we've got to confess the negative motivations of our heart toward other people. When you feel jealousy, when you feel insecurity, when you feel envy and anger and offense, you have to bring it to God and you have to pray for them until you wish good for them. Well, that's hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it hard to do? Hey, just be honest. It's hard to do in your own home. Husbands and wives. Well, when you're fighting, right? Come on. You didn't get up this early to not tell the truth. When you're fighting and you're mad, boy, it's hard to want good for him. It's hard to want good for her. Well, I want her to feel what I feel. I want him to feel what I feel. You, you, you want him to feel bad? Why do you want that? Because I want him to understand what they did to me. Yeah? Is that really what Jesus would want for them? So you pray for them until all the pollution and the toxins and the anger and the poison drains out of you and you want for them what God wants for them. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say unto you, if you have anger in your heart, there's a, there's a beginning of a problem. And it needs to be dealt with. Do you, do you even want the last two? <laughs> Let me give you number three. Forgive. These, these are steps, okay? You kind of have to do each one. They go in order. Forgive the people who have inflicted painful words or actions towards you. How do you deal with anger? Look, you, you can't prevent offense because sometimes you and I get offended when we shouldn't. And sometimes people hurt us when they shouldn't. And that's just what it means to be human. That's life. So we can't, there's no way to prevent that forever. So you're going to get hurt and you're going to be angry about it. So what do you do? You take these steps. The third step is you have to come to a place that you can forgive the people who've inflicted painful words or actions towards you. I heard such a fascinating podcast this week. A pastor of a church in America of 20,000 people, giant church, great godly man, he had worked so hard in ministry. He had gone so hard that he was completely burned out. Because the demands of ministry and the weight of everything and the pace he was going at, he just couldn't keep it up. And it wore him down like a little pencil to the eraser. And he was emotional. He, says, he said, I couldn't feel. I couldn't feel. He said, I knew I was in trouble. One Sunday I was on the platform and we were celebrating water baptism. And he said, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. 
people had given their heart to Christ, and we were celebrating that, and he said, I couldn't feel anymore. And he said uh, some of his friends who were pastors had hit the wall and crashed and burned. They, they had had affairs and integral failures, and they were blowing their lives up. And he said, it was a wake-up call to me. I had to do something. So he, he, he went to his elders. He talked to them. He went to a counselor. Uh, he took some time off. And he sat down with the counselor and said, I, I'm totally, completely empty and spent and numb, and I, and I don't know what to do. So here's what his counselor asked him. He said, I want you to write down the names of all the people who have hurt you. He said, okay. So he went and started writing, and he said, I thought it was just going to be pages and pages, you know? Because <laughs> uh, you might not know this, ministry's tough. It's tough. It's really tough. Because the devil don't want you to succeed. And he's going to throw everything he's got at you and all that. And so he said, I just knew it was going to be pages and pages. He said, and I, I made the list, and he said, it, it was ten. He said, that's all I could think of. And the counselor looked at him and said, 10? And, and he said, I, I, I know there's more. I just can't think of them right now. If I had more time, I know more people have hurt me. And he said, the counselor laughed and said, you know what? He said, it's always 10 or 5 or 3 or 1. He said, it's never many. He said, what happens to us in leadership is over the decades, we begin to project the pain that a few people have caused us onto everyone else. And we start to view other people with skepticism because we've been hurt and we're not acknowledging all the people who have been good to us. Now watch. He said, do you know what this list means? This list means that in 25 years of ministry, only 10 people have hurt you. What that means is thousands upon thousands. He pastors 20,000 people. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been good to you. Only 10 have actually hurt you. So he said, you know, you actually can trust people. And you can love them. So he walked him through a process of going down the list one at a time and forgiving them and reaching out and contacting the ones that he needed to contact and, uh, and making things right. He said, here's what he said. He said, since then, a freedom has entered my life and I felt like I got rid of a 50-pound pack on my back. And he said, it's changed the way I run the race. He said, I pastor with more joy I live with more freedom. I'm more settled. I have more peace. He said, it's not the pace of ministry I find that, that crushes you. It's the weight. And he said, and the weight for me, much of which I didn't even need to carry, but I was carrying. So how do we deal with anger in our hearts? I want to make a statement to you. You might want to write this down. All angry people have one thing in common. They have someone they need to forgive. All angry people have one thing in common. They have someone or some group of people that they need to forgive. And the way that you deal with anger in your heart before you go ahead and act on it and murder something is you have to forgive. You have to let go. Let those people go. 
To hold unforgiveness inside you will work on you like an infection that will just build and build and build, and ultimately it will find its way out of you into ulcers or headaches or physical or emotional sickness, and then it will begin to poison the relationships and the people around you who you love. Somewhere along the way, you have to decide not to murder yourself with an unforgiving heart. Because an unforgiving heart will kill you. And murder is murder. All right, here's the last one. Number four. Reach out to reconcile hurtful relationships. So, so Jesus gave this little switch on, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And then he follows it with this example. Verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the... In other words, this has always been one of the most profound passages in Scripture to me. Stop worshiping. Really. I, I was always taught that was the first thing. Stop worshiping. Stop it. Quit it. Because there is an emergency, there's a 911, there's a crisis in the kingdom of God. And here's what the crisis is there's a, there's a horizontal disruption in your life that must be fixed before you go vertical again. Leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer you a gift. If you want to know how spiritual you really are, I'll give you a test this morning, but I promise you it won't be comfortable. Your relationship with God is not better than your relationship with the worst person in your life. Your relationship with God is no better than the worst relationship in your life. That's how big a deal reconciliation is to God. <laughs> this will never be better than this. And this will never be better than this. This is what God meant when he said, do not murder. <laughs> but I tell you, deal with your anger and reconcile with everyone that you possibly can. Now, it's a big risk to reconcile. You might be rejected. But it's the only way to deal with the darkness in your heart. In, in, a, in I think the year 2000, um, I don't remember, maybe five. It had to be 2005 or six. There were, there were four brothers that were in our youth ministry in Florida. And I got a call from the oldest brother in about 2006. And he said... Um, Something terrible has happened. My, his second brother, the, the second born, he said last night he was killed in a terrible automobile accident. He said it just took him. And our families just shattered. And um, we, we had already been, we had moved away several years before that. But we were, we were those four boys' youth pastor for years. Like they were, 
he was the only youth, I was the only youth pastor he knew because he had graduated and, and moved on about the time we did. And he said, I just want you to know, can, can you help us? And I said, man, um, I'm so sorry about what's happened. I said, I know a lot of people are going to gather around right now. Um, when all the dust settles, can we reconnect then and let me just spend some time with you? He said, boy, that'd be great. And I talked to his mom and dad. <laughs> and unfortunately, we, we were just in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. We were less than a year after Hurricane Katrina. And our whole community was torn up. Our church was torn up. We had lost a third of our church in one night. And our, our ministries were flipping over. Our, our family was struggling. Our youngest son had been diagnosed with diabetes. And that, I, I, was, I was taking over 100 phone calls a day from people outside our community wanting to come and help and all that. And, I'm, and life was overwhelming. And I never, I never reached back out to him. Not because I didn't think about it, not because I didn't want to. I just, I couldn't find the space. Our life was so torn up. And, uh, and, then, and then one year went to another, went to another, and our family endured so much tragedy. And then after several years, things calmed down, and I thought, boy, it'd be terrible to call now, you know, because all this time has gone by, and I really intended to do more for them than I did. And I just, life escaped me. And um, last summer, I was in uh, our beach camp, and I put on Facebook, you know, hey, you know, getting ready for a beach camp. And his family would come to my mind through the years a few times. And when I put it on there, he shot a little line and said, hey, I'm in Panama City. Could we go eat lunch tomorrow? I said, man, <laughs> that'd be great. I'd love to. And I had this icky feeling, you know. 10, 10, 11, 12 years had gone by. They'd lost their little brother, and I, I, I never followed up the way I wanted to. It's terrible. And so we went for lunch, and there he sat with his wife, and she was pregnant. And, you know, I thought, I don't know how this is going to go. And we sat down to eat, and I said, uh, Hunter, I... I want to tell you something that I've carried for years. When your brother died, man, I had every intention of reaching out to you, and I've wronged you, and I'm so sorry. I never meant to. Life was just overwhelming. Our family lived through so many crises. I just never could find the time to do it, and I'm so sorry. I've carried this for years. Would you please forgive me? And he looked at me and laughed. And he said, are you kidding me? I said, yeah. He said, man, don't think another thing about it. It's okay. He said, I, I understand. He said, you know, I was just telling my wife about all the things you taught us when we were in youth group. He said, you know, I still do my devotions today the way you taught us when I was 15. He said, man, you've had more in impact on my life than... Uh, only one or two other people. He said, man, please, 
don't carry it another minute. I, I forgive you, it's, it's over. Don't, let's, don't ever talk about it again. Can I tell you what that did for my heart? Man, I felt terrible about that. Man, it lifted a weight off my soul. And I, I walked out of there a little bit freer. Now, I wasn't angry. I was never angry. But this scripture says, if your brother or sister has something against you, I didn't know if he had something against me or not. That was awkward. That was uncomfortable. It was embarrassing. But you know what? I'm so glad I took that step because it allowed freedom to flow through my life just a little bit more. Would you stand with me this morning? John chapter 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan is a God of murder, but God is a God of life. And for a follower of Jesus, it's never enough just to not kill a person's body. It's never enough just not to kill. God wants us to give life and to speak life. So the question I have for you this morning, do you give life or do you give death? Would you uh, bow your heads this morning and close your eyes? And I want to ask the prayer team if you'll come. We just open your heart today. Everybody just find a place you can get still for a minute. This is, this is a very important moment right here. With no one looking around, just open your heart for a minute. Do you know this is at least the third time in the last few months that this subject has come up in a sermon series? And I was praying last night, I was saying, God, why does this subject keep coming up? And I, and I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know that this is the year of freedom at Kingwood Church. This is the year of freedom. And the only way you're going to walk in freedom is let go of the things that you've been carrying. So God wants this to be a year of freedom. How do you do that? People tend to carry more weight than they should. You have to lighten the ship. You have to forgive. So this morning, if you have someone that you need to forgive, in just a minute as we start to pray, I want you to come for prayer and say, God, give me the strength. As you take a step, you pray, God, give me the strength. God, give me the help. God, give me the grace to let go and forgive that person I need to forgive. If you need forgiveness this morning from God, I want you to come. Maybe you're here and you're not even a believer. Maybe you don't even have a good relationship with Jesus, a real relationship. I want you to come and pray and say, God, forgive me. Maybe you are a believer, but you need forgiveness. I want you to come and say, God, forgive me. As you take a step, every step is, Lord, forgive me. You just come and pray with someone today and say, I, I need forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask someone to forgive you. Well, I think the place that starts is prayer. You come and, and let one of our prayer team pray with you that you're going to have the strength. Those are hard steps to take. They're hard decisions. But you come this morning while it's on your heart and you pray and ask God, give me the strength to reach out and reconcile. Maybe, maybe you were raised in a judgmental and critical environment and you say, I want to be a life giver. I want to speak life. But if I'm honest this morning, I am struggling with speaking and giving life. Man, if that's you, I'm, I'm telling you, you do what I did with our friend over in Panama City. You just come honestly 
and humbly. And I'm telling you, God's grace is going to meet you. And you're going to walk out of this place in greater freedom than you've walked in in years. Maybe today you just need prayer. <laughs> you say, you know, none of that's me. I just need prayer today. Boy, when we call, I just want you to come. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw every person that needs prayer. As I begin to pray, I want you to come right now. If you need prayer today, I want you to come right now, right now, right now. Lord, I pray this would be a place of freedom and this would be a year of freedom. Lord, I pray today that we would walk in grace and life and joy and freedom and humility. God, by your spirit, by your presence, move today and release the anger, release the unforgiveness, release the offense, release the wound, release the pain. Today, today moms and dads are being forgiven. People who've hurt you are being forgiven. People who've wounded you, friends, brothers and sisters, relatives, are being forgiven. Freedom is flowing in this place. Lord, let freedom flow in this place. Those who are carrying the weight of sin are laying the weight of sin down. And freedom is coming into your heart this morning. God wants you free because he loves you. As the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come now. Come and let the Holy Spirit work freedom in your soul. Let him work freedom in your soul this morning. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of us. Jesus, you're the key.